When I was in high school, the worst thing you could be called was nerd. It implied somebody who was socially awkward, clumsy, somebody who wasn't in the cool group. Now, the most important people in your organization are nerds. And those people who can make your systems work, people who can make your um, computers talk to each other, the guy who can get the printer to run, those are the people who make your life happy and easy. We are fortunate at Brentwood Baptist Church to have a group of people who understand these processes, who know what makes social media work, and see it as a viable and useful platform for spreading the gospel as far as we can and as fast as we can. Derek Guardier has been part of our church for a long time. He's been part of our church campus, been part of our church staff for several years now, and has led our staff to develop a very strong, powerful, effective social media platform. Today, as we talk about one of our church values being intentionally innovative, there's no one more qualified and more eager to talk to you about what this innovation looks like for now and the future than Daryl. So give him your heart and your ears and your full attention as we welcome Daryl Guardier to our pulpit this morning. Thank you, thank you. Um, I need to clarify one thing real quick. Did he just call me a nerd? <laughs> okay, just want to make sure I understood that correctly. In 1991, Radio Shack ran an ad in the local newspaper. I think it was maybe their President's Day sale. And if you look at that ad, there, if you're somebody who's technically inclined like I am, the eighth grade version of me would have looked at that ad and said, yeah, that's everything I want. There's a camcorder on there, an answer machine, a computer, calculator. It's a wish list of everything someone like I would want when I was in eighth grade. If you bought everything in that ad, it would have cost you about $3,000. Translate to today, it would have cost you about $5,000. Here's the funny thing about that ad. Everything you see in that ad would be eventually replaced by this device, the iPhone. This device, for some of us, carries the pictures of our kids, pictures of your grandkids. It's got your email, maybe your financial records, your social media accounts, some cases your health records. It's a device that's become extremely indispensable. So much so that if I asked you on the way into the worship service today to turn off the device and maybe drop it in a bucket, we'll give it to you at the end of the worship service, you may start to get some jitters. Forbes magazine described the device as something that Steve Jobs created to be all things to all people. I thought that was kind of curious, use of the phrase, all things to all people. Because those of us who've read and studied scripture know that's not a phrase, that's the Apostle Paul. And that's where we're going to be spending some time today with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 and 23. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read 1 Corinthians 9. Verses 19 through 23. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. 
To the weak I became the weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do this all because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Let us pray. God, we come before you knowing that you hold the future. And that future sometimes for us can seem pretty uneasy. But we know at the same time you've called us to be all things to all people. We pray today as we read your word, as we listen to your word being preached, that it would not fall on deaf hearts, but hearts that are ready to receive it. In your name I pray. Amen. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you say to yourself, I didn't sign up for this? Like the moment you thought you were going to do one thing, but something else happens. Maybe it's a job that you've taken and your boss asks you to do something. And you're like, that's not my job description. He goes, yes, it is. It's at the very bottom. It says all other duties as assigned. <laughs> or maybe you're a parent of a four-year-old who thinks you're Google. And so they sit next to you the entire, in the house, wherever you go, they're there asking you questions. And you're like, I just want five minutes of peace. So you do what any good parent would do. You hide in the bathroom only to have the four-year-old come knocking on the door. Mama, mama. Or maybe you're at a funeral and you've got a loved one who passed away just a little too quick. It wasn't a phase of life that you were expecting. That's not what you had planned. And you say, this is not what I signed up for. I think in the last 18 months, a lot of us would say this was not the life that we signed up for. I did not sign up to work remotely from home. I did not sign up to learn new math versus old math with my fourth grader. I think this, that's the question or the phrase, if you will, that the church is asking itself right now, which is, this is not the future that we signed up for. Culture is moving faster, technology is moving faster. All these things are rapidly coming at us and we're going, this is not what I signed up for. What do we do? How do we approach the future that's not the one that we thought we were going to incur? I think the Apostle Paul outlines that for us in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. Now, when we read this passage, there's a couple of things you need to know. First thing, Paul is writing the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth at the time, actually previously before that, was known as the Las Vegas of its time. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. But the Roman Empire came in and took over the city and rebuilt the city, turned it into a thriving metropolis. It's where commerce happened. One author said it's where the East and the West came together. If you wanted to be in business, it's the place you moved to, which I find kind of interesting because that's the way I would describe Nashville. It's where the East Coast and the West Coast have come together. And judging by the traffic that I fight on I-65, a lot of people have moved here. The second thing you need to know is that Paul spends a good portion of Corinthians talking about his freedom, his spiritual freedom that he has in Christ. But at the same time, he's also free because he is a Roman citizen. And in the Roman world, if you're a Roman citizen, you can roam wherever you like, no pun intended, through the Roman Empire untouched. So Paul has a tremendous amount of freedom. The other thing we need to know about this passage or leading up to this passage is what Paul is not advocating. And I'm going to start off with talking about what he's not advocating. Paul is not advocating that we change the gospel to reach people. And I say that because this passage can be often misconstrued and twisted in such a way 
that where we use the ends to justify the means, Paul's not doing that. Paul may change the way he presents the gospel, but never changes the gospel itself. So what is Paul saying? Simply put, Paul's saying that when I'm with my Jewish friends, I adopt Jewish customs. With my Gentile friends, I adopt Gentile customs. I won't violate moral, ethical, theological boundaries, but I'll do whatever it takes to reach people. That's a simple, plain reading of the text. But like most scripture, you read it, you understand it. The problem is not the reading and understanding. It's the so what. So what are you going to do? See, for a lot of us, we read a passage like this and we agree, we nod our heads, say, okay. But then our sin sin nature kicks in. And we start asking the question when God presents us with a calling, something that he wants us to do, we start asking the question, what's in it for me? Now, you don't verbalize that question. You don't say it out loud, but internally you do. How do I know that? Because I work in marketing. And what do all good marketers do? They make ads that explain to you what's in it for you. So we start to have our sin nature kick in and we start to say, what's in it for me? The second thing we do, we start using our personal preferences as a way of getting out of the thing that God's calling us to do. You'll say things like, I'm an introvert. I'm not really a people person. So gospel conversations really aren't my thing. Or I'm not known to travel much. So international travel, I'm not really into that. So going to reach that unreached people group across the globe on a mission journey, not something I'm, I really see myself doing. Or you may say, I'm not really called to work with that group, that age group. That's not my thing. We come up with all of these all these preferences, all of these excuses, so much so that we create this gap from where we are to where God wants us to be. And those excuses keep building that gap. But what if instead of just taking that gap and embracing that gap and saying this is what it is, we take a step of faith into that gap, a step of obedience where we walk into that gap. What if we do that instead of taking all the labels that the world has placed on you, whether you're not an introvert, extrovert, whatever that may be, And instead, take a step of faith of obedience in there and maybe see who God intended you to be and who God intended the church to be. One of the most beautiful expressions of all things to all people is our campus model. We have eight campuses all through the Middle Tennessee area. And if you spend some time on a Sunday going to Lachlan Springs, you'll see that come true with David Hanna and her sea of young adults up in East Nashville. Or you go see Doug Jones at Woodbine where you'll see the worship led in Spanish, the prayer in Chinese, and the sermon in English. Talk about being all things to all people. Now, the world that I operate in, the online world, that's what excites me the most. So that's what I want to spend a little bit about the time today talking about. Now, I know when I say online, for a lot of you, you roll your eyes and you think, that's not really for me. That's mostly young men playing video games online. That's the national narrative of who is really online. It's really for young adults. Here's the thing. If you look at the stats for the Brentwood campus, they would disagree with you. Majority of people who watch our content online are over the age of 50. They're primarily female and they live right here in the Brentwood area. 
So they look a lot like the people I'm looking at right now. Your neighbors are watching online, and we know they're watching a lot of them for the very, very first time. A few years ago, I traveled to the Midwest to see my grandfather because for selfish reasons, I knew he didn't have that much time left and I wanted to hear about our family's spiritual heritage. So I wanted to know how he came to know Christ. So I sat down with my grandfather and said, hey, tell me the story. Now I think I'm about to get this big spiritual epiphany. And here's what he said. He goes, look, when your great aunts, great aunts and I were in elementary school, we were told we had to be in church on Sunday. So we knew the Methodist church was two miles that way and the Baptist church was one mile that way. So we said, we'd rather walk one mile than two miles. And we walked down to the Baptist church. I heard the gospel, walked down, accepted Christ. Here's what he was demonstrating. We used to choose church by proximity. Now we choose church by affinity. In an online world, it's affinity over proximity. It's not what's nearest to me. It's what resonates with me. And we have found that what we're doing at Brentwood Baptist is resonating with people. And to me, that excites me a lot. Now, again, you may be thinking, this is not what I signed up for. And I get that. I understand that. But here's a couple things to think about. We're now in an online first world. Okay, you buy your groceries online, you book your travel online. We do everything online. And if the world is moving online, then we have to be good missionaries. And what do good missionaries do? They study the culture and they study the language. And that's what we have to do. We have to study the language and the culture. The other thing we need to be aware of is this, is that we know statistically speaking, young adults have left the church in large numbers. Now that obviously is a sad case, but we also need to be aware that this generation that's left, we, we call them generation Y, or you may call them millennials. We also know that they're having kids. We know them as generation alpha. And while their parents have left the church and we classify them as post-Christian, their kids are being raised in such a way that they will never come inside of a church. We will call them pre-Christian. At the same time, they're digital natives, which means they encounter the world digitally first before they encounter the physical world. So what does that mean? That means their first encounter with Christianity will not be walking through those doors. It'll be online. Now, if you think, wow, we got a lot of people watching online. We got Generation Alpha coming. What do we do? Most churches during the pandemic, their response was to hire a digital campus pastor build out a huge digital operation. But that's not Brentwood Baptist. That's not the way we operate. One of our cultural values is intentional innovation. We want to be innovative, but we want to be intent to, uh, have intention with it. So we said, let's take a moment, let's take a step back, and let's really examine the situation. And here's what we found. When people ask me about our digital presence as a church, they say, what's it look like? What is it? They want to get in the technical. I say, hmm. our digital presence at Brentwood Baptist is you. We know that when you share how God is moving in your life, when you're about to go into a storm, when you're in the middle of the storm, when you're coming out of the storm, we know you have a five to 10 times greater reach and impact on people than anything I could ever post 
from our Instagram account. Why? Because people want to connect with people, not organizations. So that's why you're our digital presence. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, time out. This is not what I signed up for. And I get that. I understand. And you may be thinking, look, I'm in a small group. I go on mission journey. I give, have gospel conversations. You're asking me to do one more thing. I understand that. I get that. But understand those things that we've asked you to do were not meant to be a checklist. They were meant to be disciplines that you instill in your life so much so that you cannot help but to talk about Christ. Not only to your coworkers, neighbors, but guess what? Your digital life as well. Christ should fill you up so much that it spills out into everything you do. So when people ask me about our digital presence at Brentwood Baptist, I tell them it's you. You're our digital presence. Again, I know this is not what the church signed up for. Things are moving at a rapid pace. Culture's changing. I understand that. I get that. But I also understand that you're the body of Christ. And when you go online and you represent Christ, it has a greater impact than anything I can do from where I sit. A few years ago, actually, sorry, gosh, three months ago, four months ago, (laughs) I had to go home to bury my mom. She passed away from an 18-month battle with ovarian cancer. Six years before that, I had to bury my dad, who died from a long battle with brain cancer. So I'm at my family house, the house I grew up in, with my brother getting the house ready for an estate sale. And I start going through my dad's things. My mom had basically pared everything my dad owned down to a single box. And then there was the flag from his military funeral, along with some of his medals. And I was, I, as I was rummaging through the box, I found a journal. I called my brother and said, look, did you know dad had a journal? He's like, no. And that threw both of us off because my dad was a United States Naval officer, a pretty stoic individual, did not know him to be a journaler. So curiosity got the best of me and opened up the journal. And in the journal, I found the first entry. The first entry was the very first day that Amy Jo and I came home to visit my parents. And in the journal entry, he describes driving home and losing control over the lower half of his body. He panicked. I was not aware of the panic. And as he drove us home, he clipped the side of the car and took the mirror off of it as he pulled into the garage. So then he begins to journal some more and talks about going and seeing the doctor, finding out he's got a tumor, and then finding out the tumor is brain cancer. And then he makes this shift in the journal that I wasn't expecting. He starts listing out every doctor, every nurse he's going to go see. And he starts listing out whether or not they know Christ if they've heard the gospel. It's almost like he creates an Excel grid inside of the journal. Doctor's name, nurse's name. Have they heard the gospel? Have they received the gospel? Have I prayed for them? And so basically what I figured out was, was that if my dad was going to go see you and you were his doctor or nurse, you were going to hear the gospel. But then he makes this 
another shift that I wasn't ready for. He's about to go into surgery. This is the first time. It's going to be an invasive surgery. And he knows that going into that surgery, cognitively speaking, he's going to come out not quite the same. So he starts listing out everybody in his own personal life who doesn't know Christ. And he starts listing detailed plans for how he's going to reach those people. He starts listing out deacons, other men in the church, anybody and everybody he can to work with to reach those people, even down to where he's going to take them to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I started to realize that he did that because he knew when he was going to be on the table and when they did the operation, he was going to walk out not quite being the same. And he wanted to make sure he didn't forget these things. But I also want to believe this, that my dad knew he was going to go into the operating table as John Girardier, but he was hoping he'd come out more like Christ. That's where I think the church is at right now. We're at a place where culture is moving much faster than any of us are comfortable with. Technology is moving much faster than any of us are comfortable with. And we're looking at the future and we're saying to ourselves, this is not what we signed up for. So we end up creating a gap between where we are and where God wants us to be. We ask questions like, what's in it for me? We start creating personal excuses for why we can't do the very thing that God is calling us to do. So how do we go into the future? We go into the future with a step of obedience and a step of faith. That's how we go into the future. Again, we will be saying a lot, this is not what we signed up for. But it's what we have to do. Now, some, for some of us in the room, when I talk about this gap, you may think, you don't know what happened in my own life. I've created that gap. I have done things that have created a gap between myself and God. Well, I want you to know that gap was filled by the cross. So whatever story you think you've got that is so horrible, that's put a gap between you and God, I want you to know Christ filled that gap. We want to hear your story. We want to hear from you. And we want to tell you the greatest story of Christ's death and resurrection. In just a few moments, we're going to wrap up. And we've got a welcome center out there. It looks like we dropped the Apple store in the middle of the lobby, if you don't know what it is. We want to hear your story. We want to tell you the greatest story of all time. And for a lot of us, we know we need to be in a small group. We know we need to be having gospel conversations. We, need to, we know we need to get on a plane and go reach an unreached people group. And right now you've got a lot of excuses. And you're saying, what's in it for me? You're putting up a lot of roadblocks. But let me tell you, the only way to close that gap is by taking a step of faith and obedience into that gap and becoming all things to all people. That's the challenge today. That's the challenge for the future, the church for the future. I know Brentwood Baptist can do it. We've done it before. We did it with the Deaf Church. We've done it with a lot of ministries. I'm excited for the future, but I know it's gonna take a step of faith and a step of obedience. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you, we come before you as people who are humbled by your goodness, your faithfulness. We know the future to a lot of people may seem uncertain, but we know that you are a God who holds the future and you are a God who is for us. And if you are for us, God, who can be against us? 
We pray for those who have not received the gospel. We pray for them. We pray that you soften their hearts. We pray that today we can have those conversations with people who have yet to believe. And for those of us who do believe, who have yet to take that step of faith for where you're calling us next, I pray that we would walk in obedience. In your name I pray, amen.